You may be seated. I love that. I think the only thing missing for me is it is well. We'll have to do that at the end of the service. <laughs> it's great to have everyone, especially uh, it's great to have the ensemble as well. My one question is, how do we get you every week? This is awesome. As a young child, I grew up in what I would call an a-religious home, as in it wasn't necessarily against religion, uh, it just wasn't a priority for us. Religion really wasn't something that we talked about, it hadn't been a priority to my mom. Uh, the church that my dad grew up in, he grew up in a Catholic school and it didn't do him much good, so when it came down to it, it just wasn't a priority for our family, it wasn't something that we really were encouraged to do. The only time it became something of a priority for us was when my mom realized that provided at least an hour of childcare on Sunday morning so she could have some alone time. So uh, there was a Nazarene church that was right down the road from us, and we would walk there on Sunday morning. Me and my brother and sister loved it because they had cake after every service. Uh, so we would eat cake after church, and then we'd walk home, and eventually my uncle invited us to come to church with him, and it turned out it was a Wesleyan church, and I can still remember uh, when we went to that church, uh, the first Sunday there, my mom was there with us, and that was the first time I can ever remember my mom being in a worship service with us, but I can remember her afterwards asking if we enjoyed it, and I told you at the first church, the Nazarene church, we really liked the cake. Well, to tell you the truth, there was a good-looking girl in this Wesleyan church, so when she asked if we liked it, I said, yeah, we love the church. And she said, well, good, because now you're going to be here. And every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, from that moment forward, we were in church. And I will tell you that in that church, I learned so much what it means to be a part of a family. The people at that church loved us as if we were the only kids there, which wasn't exactly true, but it was close. There was one other family with kids. We were almost the only kids there, but they loved us like we were the only ones there. And as a part of that, they showed us incredible grace. I found so many things in that church that I needed in my life. We didn't have a father figure in our lives, and I think I inherited overnight about 20 father figures, individuals who would pour into us and would just love us, who would be there at various events and activities in our lives. The church played such a significant role for us. There were things that I loved about that church. I'll tell you, we never had more than 100 people. I'm not even sure we ever had more than maybe 70 people in a Sunday morning worship service, but I loved those worship services. Uh, the hymns that we would sing, I'll tell you, even today, as we were singing some of those hymns, it would bring my mind back to those days, sitting in that little tiny church and hearing those songs and singing those songs. My Sunday school teacher was the pianist, and we had an organist too. And what the pianist would do is she would try to play first because she played faster than the organist would. So she would play loud and strong, and she would get the music going. And I'll tell you, I loved being able to sing in that church. I told you there was only one other family that was there. I typically would sit uh, in this church. It would have been back here in this corner, all the way on the back row. My brother and sister would sit there as well, and I told you that other family, they would sit there too, and most of the time, we would not pay attention. We were writing notes, we were playing, goofing off, but my mom would sit all the way on this corner of the church, and she was up on that front row, and every once in a while, I'd look over, and, and she had this thing she could do with her eye. 
and she would look at you and you felt like she was burning a hole through you. But actually what she was doing was sending a message, when we get out of here, you're getting a whooping. And I knew exactly what that look meant. There was one Sunday in particular, looking back this week, I was thinking about it. One Sunday in particular, we had these, uh, these three chairs that you would put up on the platform. It used to be very common in churches. And uh, me and my brother and one other kid were sitting in the back row playing and goofing off and apparently got a little too rowdy. And the pastor from the pulpit stopped the service. He said, Mike, Wally, Bobby, come here. He made us sit in those three chairs behind him for the rest of the service. And the whole time I'm looking at my mom and she had that eye going and I thought, oh, I am in so much trouble. <laughs> Tell you the truth, we had a lot of fun in that church growing up and we had a lot of great experiences that I look back and I cherish. It's a part of my heritage. It's a part of who I have become. I actually wonder sometimes if they had any clue how much of an impact they were making on me way back then. Well, I'm very grateful for my heritage today. And I assume that others here today would say the same thing. But the reality is, not everybody has a good perspective on their religious heritage. For many, childhood recollections of going to church are filled with painful, difficult memories whether it's an intensely controlling pastor who ruled the congregation with an iron rod, or it was those nuns who used the, uh, the big ruler to slap across your fingers to discipline you, or maybe it was those church services where you were getting bored and starting to act up and your mom would reach over and pinch and twist and kind of make sure you got you back into line where you were supposed to be. Whatever it was, sometimes the religious heritage does not bring up good memories. Some were turned off by hypocrisy, others by man-made rules, and others by rituals that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to them. Yet still others have very positive feelings about their religious heritage. Some people's earliest memories are of their mom and their dad praying with them or reading the Bible stories to them. They look back on their involvement in the church with incredible fondness. For these people walking into a church service like today, in many ways, it's like coming home. It's finding a place of safety and security. This church was founded in 1917. That would be 98 years ago, during a time of cultural upheaval. World War I was occurring, and the draft had just been introduced earlier that year. Back home, there were social battles that were raging, battles over women's suffrage, over blue laws, a push for socialism, and different union abuses that were taking place. And of course, at a time of war, there were questions about what a Christian should believe regarding war and peace. But don't be mistaken about why this church was formed. It wasn't as much about social change as it was a call to holiness. It was the result of a camp meeting where people were giving their hearts to Jesus Christ, and following the meeting, there was a need for a place to worship. As a result, Second Wesleyan Church, as it was called back then, was born with somewhat of a sense of political action, but most importantly, they were bringing a holiness message to the community here. Over the years, those social issues would change, but the holiness message would remain the same. 
Certainly some of the peripherals would appear different, but we're still a church that is calling people to holy living, only made possible by a holy God. Well, today I want us to celebrate our heritage, but I also want us to understand its value. Heritage can be a great thing, but it can also become a stumbling block. It can clarify purpose, and it can give us a common practice that that may remain and become a part of our identity, but it can also limit limit us for today and tomorrow. We become so focused on the peripherals. This is the way we've done it before. These are the things that used to be a part of the church. We become so focused on our heritage that we are unable to effectively carry the core beliefs that are a part of our heritage into the future. Many of our religious traditions become like a story I once heard about a newlywed couple. To impress her new husband, this recent bride decided to bake the family recipe for ham. As she prepared the ham, she cut the ends off of it, baked it, and then served it to her husband. Well, her husband loved it. He said, this is a great dinner. But I have a question. Why do you cut the ends off the ham? She said, well, that's the way my mom always did it. The husband accepted it, but it caused the wife to ask more questions. So the next day, she called her mom. Mom, I love the way you bake the ham, but why do you cut the ends off the ham? She said, well, that's because that's the way my mom always did it. So that same day, she picked up the phone and she called grandmother. Grandmother. Why do you cut the ends off the ham? She said, oh, that's because the pot I had for the ham was too small. I couldn't fit it all in there. (laughs) What started out as a common sense, logical approach became nothing more than a tradition that was held on to from generation to generation. If we're not careful, the traditions of a person's religious heritage can do the same thing. Today, I want to answer the question, what does your religious heritage mean to you? Actually, before I do that, can I introduce somebody? This is completely unplanned. There is someone here who is here for the very first time. Ben, Ariana, would you guys like to stand up and introduce us? Want to give the baby's name and everything? You can. I don't. You don't have to show her off too much, but and she is beautiful. The only thing I have never had a baby that when I went to the hospital and got to hold the baby, she just started crying uncontrollably until I picked up Gemma. Then I gave the baby back to Ariana, and all of a sudden it was nothing but peace. It was beautiful. So good to have you guys, and great to see Gemma with you guys as well. Thank you. All right, now we'll get into the message. I just wanted to point out the baby because Gemma is beautiful. So today I want to answer the question, what does your religious heritage mean to you? It's somewhat of a loaded question as it can mean different things to different people. First, let's look at it from the perspective of one with a rich Christian heritage. The primary text that I'll use today is from Mark chapter 7. You can turn there in your Bibles if you would like. Jesus has been out ministering to others, and he has come across many who embrace his ministry, but many others who seem somewhat skeptical of it. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. 
the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating foods with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Holding to the traditions of the elders, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. The first group of people that we see here have a rich biblical heritage. They've learned the law, and like Paul, they've become very good at keeping this law. But for all of their religious rituals, their theology and their orthodoxy, when God's Messiah came, Paul and the Pharisees didn't recognize Jesus for who he truly was. In fact, their religious heritage sort of blinded them to spiritual truth. So much so that they opposed the Christian faith. Consider Paul, who would go out of the way to arrest those who would follow after Christ. His heritage was a genuinely religious heritage. He knew the Jewish law. He was so focused on that law. Yet even with this great heritage, he missed out on the opportunity to embrace Christ. So Jesus calls him out. Using the scriptures against them, he reminds them of Isaiah's words. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What he's saying is that their heritage has become so important to them, but they're focusing on the wrong things, the peripherals of their faith, as opposed to the things that matter the most. What you've embraced as righteousness is nothing more than self-righteousness. And just because that's the way you've done it before doesn't make it more Christian, especially if you're just focusing on those peripherals. Jesus would again call out the Pharisees in John 5 when he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The point is that just having a heritage or just having a head knowledge of God will never be enough. Cherish your heritage, but realize that it has to be so much more than just saying I was raised in a good church. It has to be so much more than just saying I know the hymns, I know the scriptures. It has to penetrate our hearts. Let me suggest to you that having a strong Christian heritage is not a bad thing. It can be a great thing. I mentioned Paul earlier. Well, consider his words in Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What Paul is saying here is, Paul thinks about his religious heritage as being a Jew, and he wonders what advantage is there to having this heritage at all. 
In the previous chapter, Paul talked about a lot of things like circumcision. He talked a, a lot about how the rituals of circumcision had become so important to the people of God, yet they still missed out on what mattered. You would almost expect here in chapter 3 that Paul would be saying, you know what, our heritage is useless, but instead he says, it is a great thing. There is a great reason. And of course, the greatest advantage, according to Paul, is the Jews have been entrusted with the word of God. And in the same way, I would suggest to you today that your heritage is incredibly valuable to you, but primarily because the word of God has been entrusted to you through that. As you have grown up in churches, you have heard the word preached, you have read the word yourselves, and you have been entrusted with the word of God. That word that sometimes you may not be able to recall the actual verse number, I will tell you that in that moment of need, God will bring to your remembrance the word that God has already spoken to your heart. He will remind you of the truths that you learned when you were in children's church. And maybe it's been 30 or 40 years since you heard the verse, but I will guarantee you the word of God will not come back void. It will continue to work within your heart and to pour within to your life. The Holy Spirit will use that word to help mold and shape you for many years to come. Your heritage is an incredible blessing. It is something that you ought to cherish. Certainly there are other benefits to our Christian heritage as well. We've learned practices and principles that are of great value. We hopefully have learned what it truly means to be loved and to love others and specifically to be loved by Christ himself. But the greatest thing our heritage offers us is a glimpse of his love through his word. Well, the passage in Mark continues, and as it does, it introduces us to others who have a different heritage. The first individual is a Syrophoenician woman who has a demon-possessed daughter. She's not Jewish, really has no biblical heritage, but she does have a need. She approaches Jesus, and according to verse 26, she begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now I want to stop here for a moment and do a little bit of comparing and contrasting. The first group of people we see in this passage have a great religious heritage. They're the Pharisees. They're the ones who they know the law. They've been taught from the moment they were born to walk in his righteousness. They have a great religious heritage. Yet when Jesus came, they did not recognize him or embrace him as the Messiah. Instead, they seemed to try to fight with him. Then you have this woman who has no religious heritage at all. Yet she comes to him, seeking him. What's the difference between the two? It would seem to me that this was a woman that even though her heritage was not one of great religious history, this woman recognized that this was more than a historical thing anyways. This is something for today. So this woman begins to seek the Lord. She has decided she will not allow her heritage to become a stumbling block or her lack of heritage. She has decided that regardless of whether I've been raised in a church, whether I've been taught the scriptures or not, I am going to start right now. Many of you have a great religious heritage, but it's possible today that some of you don't. 
You weren't raised in the church. You didn't have someone to walk with you, to help you grow, to disciple you, to, to share with you, and to pour the love of Christ into you constantly. But I'm telling you, you're just like this woman. And this woman, when she began to seek the Lord, she experienced Jesus in an incredible way. Jesus responds to her. And as he does, he says, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it. I want to take a moment and just explain this. He's going to refer to her as a Syrophoenician woman. He's going to refer to her almost as a dog. He says basically that, you know, the, the, the master has come for his children, and it's not right for me to give it to you as a dog. It sounds really horrible, horrible insult. But in their culture, between Jews and Gentiles, there was almost this relationship where they looked down upon each other. So for her to come to a Jew was a huge step across social boundaries. As a Gentile, you don't go to a Jew. Part of it's because of the fact that their religious traditions were just so different. Yet she was willing to cross that boundary. In response, he is reminding her of a cultural structure that existed. Jews and Gentiles didn't have anything to do with each other, and often they referred to each other in such ways, referring to them almost like dogs. A side note here, though, as, as we look at this, you'll see that Jesus clearly had a heart for Gentiles. He didn't view them as dogs, but rather he is pointing out that you have crossed a social boundary here. It's not that Jesus didn't want to help her. He's simply helping her understand the circumstance. Well, she responds with humility and boldness. She doesn't deny the broken relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, but instead seems to embrace it. It's almost like she's saying, yes, we are like dogs to the Jews, but even dogs get to eat the scraps that fall from the table. Lord, please let me pick up the scraps from you so that my daughter might be set free, so that she might be healed. Note that this woman had a choice. She could let her heritage or her lack of heritage become something that kept her from Jesus, or she could choose to start a new heritage. She could come to Jesus, and every step from that moment forward would be shaped by her previous experience with Jesus. I will tell you that I am grateful, since we're looking at heritage this week, for a mom who did exactly what this Syrophoenician woman did. I told you I can remember that first time we went to church and my mom told us, well, you're going to be here all the time now. I will tell you that was perhaps the best decision my mom ever made for my family. What she did was she started a new heritage for us. There are many who come to church and they feel so alienated primarily because of the fact that they don't know all the routines that go with being in church they don't know the language that people use. We use big words sometimes that sound really impressive to us. And other people, they're looking and thinking, what did he say? And often they feel like they're outsiders. But like this Syrophoenician woman, she makes the decision that I'm going to start a new heritage. I am going to follow Christ. By the way, the impact of this woman starting a new heritage would immediately affect her daughter who was in need. God was there to perform a miracle in her, but she had to choose. There's one other group that is mentioned here in Mark 7. They're not mentioned by name, but rather by their city. 
They come from a place called the Decapolis. In verse 31 it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. A couple months ago I introduced you guys to the Decapolis. It was a Gentile region that was formed by ten cities that had banded together for strength and commerce. It was a place that was considered ungodly among Jews, but it was also a place where Jesus had sent a missionary. Oh, the missionary is never identified by name. We only know him as an individual who was filled with many demons. You remember Jesus had gone to the region of the Gerasenes, and there was one individual that came out to meet him. It was a man who lived in the tombs. He had been chained up on many occasions, but the demons inside him would grow up, would, would bow up, and, and basically break the chains. Nothing could stop this guy. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. And as he does, Jesus begins to speak with him. He identifies this individual really by the name of the demon inside him. Jesus says to him, who, who are you? What is your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And of course, you know, Jesus casts out the demons, and all of a sudden, this guy is found in his right mind. The demons actually go into a herd of um, pigs, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry. I got all these stories mixed up here. Goes into a herd of pigs. They run off into the water, and they all die. But this man is then sitting in his right mind. Well, the people, they're furious. You would think they would be grateful. He just took this nuisance to society and he made him whole. But instead of them celebrating what Jesus had done, they asked Jesus to leave. Well, this man who is unnamed but once held all these demons says, Jesus, I want to go with you too. If these people cannot rejoice over my freedom, my victory, then I'd rather be with you than to be with them. But Jesus says no. He says, I want you instead to go back to your family. Go to the people that you know, that you love. And tell them what I've done for you. Actually, if we were to look, what we'll see in Mark 5, 20, it says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now in Mark 7 again, we see that they've heard the story of Jesus because this man went and told them. They've seen what he could do. By the time Jesus appears in the Decapolis, their curiosity has peaked. But up until now, the story of Jesus was somebody else's story. It was that of a demon-possessed man. Now, as Jesus comes in Mark 7, they have the opportunity to make it their story as well. Let me suggest to you today that within this group of people in this room, there are three individual groups. Some of you have a great heritage. That heritage is either leading you to righteousness or to self-righteousness. It has become a stumbling block or it has become a great stepping stone that is helping you to be the child of God that he has created you to be. My prayer is that it has become that stepping stone. I'm going to tell you, if it has become the stumbling block to you, it is time to allow your heritage to take on new meaning. 
Because our faith, our heritage is such an important thing and it can be a blessing to us if we'll allow it. The second group would be those who have already called out to Christ. You don't have a long heritage of faith in your family, but you are starting one. Know that your heritage of faith will affect your family for generations to come. So you must be diligent. Moms, dads, your children's faith will be shaped by what they see in you. If you choose to walk in a way that honors God, it will play a role in how they develop in their faith. But if you choose to have a life that is filled with hypocrisy, where on Sunday morning you walk in righteousness, and then on Monday you live completely different, that too will affect the way your children are raised. Because they'll come to think that that's normal and that's okay. I'm telling you, today is the day for some of us to begin a new heritage because we have family that is walking behind us and they need to see it. Some of you have already done that and I encourage you, stay the course. Be faithful to what he's called you to do. The third group of people is like that of the people in the Decapolis. You've heard about Jesus. You may have even seen his work. But the time has come for you to embrace him and to make faith in Christ a part of your story as opposed to somebody else's story. I don't know where you are in your faith with Christ. I don't know what your heritage looks like. But I'm going to tell you, today is the day to develop a heritage that truly honors him. If you would, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are so grateful for you. So grateful for the heritage that you have given to us. Lord, I'll start with those who we have been raised in the body of Christ. Lord, we are so grateful today for moms and dads and pastors and teachers and grandparents and friends who modeled for us what it is to be a child of God. Lord, help us to walk in a way that honors those who have gone before us. Lord, help us to walk in your righteousness, honoring you every moment of our lives. Lord, I pray today for those who perhaps they have a great heritage, but for whatever reason they have become so focused on the peripherals that they no longer realize what's important. Lord, I pray that right now you would remind us of what really matters. It is redemption in you. It is your grace. Remind us of that. For those who perhaps don't have that great heritage right now, I pray that you would begin a new heritage for them. For those families, those parents, that are modeling before their children a new way, a new lifestyle that's different from anything they've ever had before. Lord, I pray right now that you would give them the strength and the willpower to stand firm, to walk in a way that their children, when they imitate them, they will imitate you. Lord, I pray that you would empower them with your Holy Spirit. Give them wisdom that goes beyond anything they ever could have on their own. And Lord, I pray that you would Allow those children to grow into the men and women that you've called them to be because of the rich heritage that their parents 
have chosen to give. Lord, I pray today for the ones who perhaps they have not yet made that choice. Or they know what it is because they've seen it in other people. They've heard the stories of how you've worked, how you've delivered, how you've transformed. But it's always been someone else's story. And I pray right now that you would begin a new heritage for them. That you would begin as they confess their sins to you, that you would simply forgive them and that you would then fill them with your Holy Spirit. Or begin in them a work that... And before I offer the benediction, I want to just give a word of thanks and appreciation. It is so good to have you guys back up here with us. Gary and Martha, love having you guys. Joy, love having you back with us this morning as well. I appreciate the rest of you guys too. But, and it's great having you guys. Thank you again for being willing to participate in this. I do want to give you some instructions before we give the benediction this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, we have a luncheon that follows. And anyone who would like to stick around for that, we would love to have you join us in our Family Life Center. Um, as a part of that, what I've been asked to do is instruct you when you go over, uh, find a seat at a table. We will call the tables a big part of the reason for that. We don't want people to have to stand in line for a long period of time. So what we'll do is we'll call individual tables so they can come up one table at a time without having to stand there for 30 minutes in line waiting to get your food. Along those lines, the teenagers have actually made themselves available to help out with some of the seniors who are in need of assistance. If, if they would like someone to walk with them to carry their plate to make sure that uh, they're okay, they have made that available to you as well. And I'm very grateful for them being willing to do that. Um, I also would ask that you do me a favor when you get over there. Thank the folks who have been serving over there. Some of them missed this morning's service because they wanted to make sure the food was ready for you today. So please be sure to give them your appreciation as well. If it's okay with you, I'm going to close us with a word of prayer, but I'm going to pray for the food while we do it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather today to worship, to lift our voices, to dig into your word. Lord, thank you for meeting with us as we have celebrated your presence. Lord, I pray that you have been honored. Lord, I pray today that you would bless each one who has come. I pray that you would help us to constantly be reminded of our heritage, to constantly be aware of the work that you have done to bring us to the point where we are today. Lord, thank you for bringing each one of us here today. Now I pray that as we prepare to eat, that you would be honored as we eat. I pray that as we break bread together, that we would be reminded of the gift of salvation, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your goodness, of fellowship that we have with the body of Christ. Lord, as we eat today, Lord, help us to appreciate the hands that have prepared it. I pray that you would bless the food to our bodies that we might be better fit for your service. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Go in peace. Please join us for lunch as well.